So, I hope you can all get used to flicking to the Gospel of Mark in your Bible or finding it on your phone because you're going to need to for the next nine months on and off. Okay, because the teaching team has decided that it's about time we went right through a Gospel. And I was going to say in living memory, that's not quite true. I can't remember. At least, I think we may have gone through John, maybe in the 1990s at Murray Street. Anybody else got a better memory than me? But we've certainly done things like the parables we've done, and done the Sermon on the Mount and things like that. But to go actually work through a whole gospel, which when you think about it, is a pivotal part of scripture. Let's think about it. Who's the most important person in the universe? Jesus. Yeah, that's right. It's always Jesus. You know the old Sunday school thing? If you're not sure of the answer, say Jesus, but you'll probably be right. <clears throat> so Jesus, the stories of Jesus, the four Gospels, we're going to do Mark. There will be breaks for special Sundays and a couple of other topics, but there's probably the next roughly nine months. And the path, have we, have we got that um, overhead for the path, will be the linking theme. The three aspects of that is Jesus' pathway through life, at least in Mark, from his adult ministry. The geographical pathway, as he went from Galilee right through Jerusalem. And also Jesus' followers' pathway. And so, we've got Mark. Mark is actually the shortest gospel with some surprisingly long chapters. We won't be doing it chapter by chapter, we'll be doing sections we will be doing the whole book, but it will be in sections, not just chapters. And so today it's up to verse 20, as Elise read. Um, Mark is possibly the earliest gospel. I spare you pages and pages of commentary about this and say that the um, majority of Protestant scholars agree that Mark is the earliest gospel. There is much shared material with Matthew and Luke, which are much longer. But Mark is shorter and in less detail and it's almost the bare bones. It's sometimes it's very bare. It's almost certainly based on a pool or collection of Jesus' sayings and events uh, which were circulating orally and maybe in written form. And as Luke points out in his, the first verse of his Gospel, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by eyewitnesses. So even when Luke was writing, a little bit later than Mark, there were accounts that were circulating. Now, who was Mark? Why do we call this gospel Mark? Again, there's pretty general consensus that the author was John Mark, who was a native of Jerusalem with both Jewish and Roman names, John Mark. John is Jewish, Mark is apparently the most common Roman name. Some of you will have heard of Mark Antony and Cleopatra. So he wasn't probably an eyewitness in the sense of being a close follower of Jesus. He was probably quite young at the time of uh, the, um, the events that he relates. The, the, he really only talks about the three years of Jesus' ministry. Um, he, there is, it's possible that he was the um, young man, even a teenager, who's in Mark 14:51, and the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was betrayed, it says a young man 
wearing nothing but a linen garment, as though he'd sort of leaped out of bed into some form of pyjamas, was following Jesus. And when they seized him, i.e. the young man, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. So he just had a little thing on, and when they grabbed that, he just managed to dive out of his clothes and, um, and run away. And it is thought, generally, that that probably was Mark, and he was probably quite young. His mother Mary was evidently well off, possibly a widow, and the early church met in her house sometimes, as we see in the Book of Acts. Mark was a cousin of Barnabas, who was one of the leaders of the early church, and Barnabas took Mark under his wing to some extent and took him with him and Paul on the first missionary journey. And at that point, Mark, somewhere along the line, um, decided to go back home, and Paul was pretty upset about that. And so with the second missionary journey, he wouldn't take Mark with him, and Barnabas stood up to Paul about it and didn't go with him but did take Mark and you can imagine that Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement and is one of the good guys in the New Testament, lots of good guys, but I really like Barnabas, and it does seem that he took Mark on and encouraged him so that later we find he's in Rome with Paul and Paul's writing to the Colossians from prison in Rome. Mark is one of his companions and he's also later on mentioned as being with Timothy and so he found his place among those early Christians. And the early, one of the early church fathers in the next century um, said that Mark was the interpreter of Peter and wrote down accurately all that he remembered, in other words, all that Peter remembered, whether the sayings or doings of Christ, but not in order. Um, and that's interesting because people have noticed that Mark's gospel is not as chronological as you might think it could, could or should be. It was probably written between about 65 and 75 AD, during the time when Paul was in prison in Rome, part of it, and also it's probably just before or just after Peter's death. Possibly either written as they realised that Peter might be executed or... Um, written after it when they thought we must get this, must write down. Mark wanted to write down everything that he could remember being told. Okay, this, this first 20 verses actually has all the elements of the path that I mentioned before. It is the beginning of Jesus' pathway in active adult ministry. It's also the geographical beginning of the pathway from Galilee and it's also the beginning of some of his disciples' pathways in following Jesus. So let's start from verse 1. The opening, is real, that first verse, is pretty in your face. It's not an introduction, it's a title. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Can't get more basic than that, really, can you? And it's pretty blunt. It compares, if you compare it to Matthew, Luke and John, Matthew starts off with a whole long 18 or so verses of the, the Jewish genealogy of, of Jesus, his, um, which is appealing to the Jewish people for whom he was probably writing. Luke starts off with several verses of the rationale of a historian, saying this is why and how I wrote it and this is where I got my sources. 
And John, who was writing probably 20, 25 years later, starts with a theological foundation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and so on. Mark just goes, this is introduction, the Gospel, Jesus Christ, Son of God. Then from verse 2 to 8, I've called the next three, the three sections, the forerunner, and then the next one, the confirmation, and the next one, the followers. Tried to get three Fs, but I couldn't. Confirmation was the best I could do. So the verses 2 to 8, the forerunner. He quotes Isaiah, sending the messenger ahead in the, um, who prepare the way in the desert. And then he goes, and so John came. And in fact, it doesn't say John the Baptist in most versions. He, again, very brief. He's assuming you know who John is. And if you don't, you're going to have to find out somehow. Baptising in the desert region and what he says is his, um, his message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, his call to repentance and his prophesying of the coming one. Now, it's interesting. John, there we go. John came. Luke gives a whole long story. If you want to know more about John, find out about his parents and his miraculous birth and all the rest of it and how he's related to the Lord Jesus. That's all in Luke, but nope, we don't get that in Mark. John came. And he's in the desert. All the, if I had, you can start imagining now without a PowerPoint, the Judean countryside. I wish I could have shown you some pictures of that. And they were baptised by him. People went out to hear him and baptised by him in the Jordan River. His remarkable clothing made of camel's hair and he ate eating locusts and wild honey. And his message of prophesying the Messiah. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And this is from someone who had thousands of people coming out to hear him in the, in the wilderness and was making a big sensation and he says, there will be one after me so much greater. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. So then we have that Jesus comes there from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And Jesus, as Jesus was coming out of the water, these things happened. He saw heaven being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven. It's interesting that in this instance, these words, the words of the voice from heaven are almost identical in Matthew and Luke. They're evidently seriously important and remembered. As I guess you would remember the voice of God if you heard it. And the voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Three really important things. Recognition that Jesus was God's son, that he was loved. It's always struck me, and I think I've said this before, that a God of love is remarkable. Paul was kind enough to say that I've studied a few things over the years and one of the things I did study a long time ago was Greek. The Greeks were petrified of their, their gods. There's no mention of love with the Greek gods. Not too sure about other gods but I'm pretty sure a lot of the 
gods in Hindu in Hindu um, pantheon and so on, they're not gods of love. It is remarkable, remarkable that people would have this revelation that there is a God who loves them. And this is this, God is love and he loved his son and he was pleased with him. And the Trinity, in fact, is found in this verse, the Son and the Father and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And then we have the very brief couple of verses about Jesus' temptation. Again, no detail from Mark. Sent out into the desert, 40 days, tempted by Satan. Doesn't list the actual temptations. You have to look at the other Gospels for that. And um, he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. It's really interesting. One of the commentators pointed out, which I hadn't even noticed, was that it doesn't say who was victorious assume Jesus was victorious it doesn't actually point out that Jesus was so it's almost a shorthand thing so we've had the forerunner in John we've had the confirmation of Jesus in his baptism and temptation and now we have his followers now again we know from John the gospel that Andrew had already met Jesus and had spent time with him and introduced Peter to him. So it's nowhere near as sudden as it might have seemed. So it's got John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And again, that's a very short summary of the, what the Lord Jesus was saying and what echoed through all his stories and teaching. As he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake and said, come follow me. And at once they left their nets and followed him. As I said, they had already met him. It's not as sudden as we might think. They had heard, also they had heard John the Baptist say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this was not such a sudden decision as it might seem, but from Peter's and um, James and John and Andrew's point of view it was absolutely the decisive moment of their lives at once they left their nets and followed him and in fact with James and John it even gives the extra detail they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men so they were I was going to say left high and dry. wouldn't have been dry necessarily in the boat, but they were left, basically. And it's a key incident, this incident. Four of the most influential early followers of Jesus who left things to follow him. So, what about us? Do we, do you, place the same value on the Lord Jesus as his father did? Beloved, son that with whom he was well pleased do we follow as willingly and wholeheartedly as those early disciples lucky to think back I think back myself as to when you set your heart on pilgrimage as it says in Psalm 84 what drew you to the Lord Jesus I I was trying to ask myself the same question. I remember reading 
a story or having it read to me. I was only probably five or six. And it was a story about some animal that gave their life. Sort of a version of the, you know, um, Red Riding Hood or something. But it was a version that then turned to saying that the Lord Jesus died for us. And I can remember standing in front of the mirror in Mum's room, the mirror on the wardrobe, with the tears rolling down my cheeks at the thought that the Lord Jesus had died for me. And then later as a preteen at Bulligan Camp, I think what drew me was the idea that, and I wanted to follow, I'd always been brought up to follow the Lord, but I think what drew me was the thought of having someone to commit to who was so worth following and that would make such a difference to my life. So there was something special and amazing about him back in the time when he was alive on earth that caused those early followers to leave their usual occupations and risk their reputations, their livelihoods, even their lives later, and to follow and proclaim him. If you're not a Jesus follower yet, you might want to think what's stopping you. There's no one else in the universe that is so worth following. There is no one else who makes such sense of our lives. And what's more, who has died for us and is the only saviour from sin. And there's no one else who has received such an endorsement from our creator, his beloved son, with whom he's pleased. So I urge you, if you are not yet a follower, to look into it. And I'm very pleased that we'll be hearing later from Jacob, as I'm guessing as to somehow about how he's come to follow the Lord Jesus. A long time ago, when I was a teenager, young teenager, I, and this is where the poetry comes in, Paul, you're quite right, Um, I, we used to go to Blue Lagoon working bees and I was bored because there wasn't much for a 13 year old to do. So I played my way through, sight read through um, the CSSM, Scripture Union, chorus book which had hundreds of choruses still got at home and I've never heard this particular chorus sung and but it always stayed in my mind because it really attracted me I heard the call come follow that was all earth's joys grew dim my soul went after him I rose and followed that was all will you not follow if you hear his call. Cool.